Hello, I'm Xavier McFarlane, and welcome to the Catholic City Podcast from the Mary Foundation. Today's episode brings back Father John Anthony Bowden, the Vicar General of the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal, as well as our founder, Bud McFarlane. Father Bowden is a convert to the faith and has an amazing conversion story, which he's going to share with us today. For those of you who are up to date with Bud's Catholic City message, you know that Father John Anthony has been a critical part of our Great Awakening project. Now listen as Father Bowden shares about his conversion and how he ended up running medical supplies during the war between Bosnia and Herzegovina. We talk about his life in the CFRs, the Eucharist, and confession. Then Bud and Father Bowden fill us in on the Great Awakening Project, including a run-in with the police. But first, if you've ever considered becoming a Catholic, or are a Catholic seeking to deepen your relationship with Christ, please visit CatholicCity.com to order our free Catholic books, booklets, Relic Prayer Medals, CDs, and best-selling novels by Bud McFarlane. Sign up for Bud's Catholic City Message, the most popular Catholic email newsletter in the world. CatholicCity.com is the online home of the Mary Foundation, and since the dawn of the internet, we've been the world leader in delivering proven, free, or low-cost tools for evangelization right to your door and superb content to your screen. And now, back to today's episode. Here we are now with Father John Anthony Bowton of the Community of the Franciscans of the Renewal, sometimes called the Capuchin Franciscans of the Renewal. He's calling in today from lovely South Bronx in New York City. Father, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, sure. Uh, First of all, it's not the Capuchin Franciscans of the Renewal. We're technically not allowed to use that title. Uh, It's just the Community of the Franciscans of the Renewal. Uh, and we are a pontifical institute at this point, and so that's the official, official title. But we did come from the Capuchins. As far as myself is concerned, I, I'm a convert to the faith. I was first Catholic in my family in 500 years. And thanks be to God, not the last. My brother and his family came in maybe six years ago uh, to the Catholic faith. And um, I, it's by a long circuitous means that I've arrived at this place of being in the lovely South Bronx as a friar, but here I am. The, uh, my, the short story of it is I, I, was, I experienced a, a pretty profound adult conversion after having been and spent a little time in the, as a naval officer, a little time in the business world, and I was on my way back to uh, school, where I was in school full-time again at age 20. Seven, twenty-eight years old to get into medicine, uh, getting what prerequisites I needed to get into medicine. It, when I had an adult conversion through Medjugorje, and um, I uh, wound up going on a pilgrimage with some other Protestant friends of mine to Medjugorje, and, and uh, we all had our socks blown off. And now that I wear sandals, I still don't have them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's it. In short, I went. I wound up spending almost the, well, literally wound up spending the first years of my Catholic life there in Medjugorje. Went over there, and the friends of mine and I that went over there to, on pilgrimage, went in the very beginning, literally just as the war in, in Bosnia Herzegovina was beginning. And uh, we, we uh, came in uh, smuggling literally food or not food but medical supplies that one of the friars had petitioned that we bring uh, and we wound up parlaying that little uh, small smuggling operation of charity into uh, a large uh, non-governmental organization called the St. David's Relief Foundation where we wound up having a warehouse there in Medjugorje and 
and I wound up being the, the lead on running convoys of food and medical supplies for a few years during the war. And I was there under the tutelage of the friars all that time. And, and that's where, uh, this vocation to become a friar, uh, took seed and, uh, began to sprout. And, uh, yeah, pretty amazing. Uh, as I look back on, it, I think about it, I was like, wow. I guess I'm a slow learner. The Lord had to <laughs> kind of jolt me, <laughs> jolt me awake <laughs> in a exaggerated means so I'd actually like get it. <laughs> become, a, become a friar because I never intended, I never even imagined being a priest, much less being a Catholic, much less being a priest. So, Wow. Can you describe some of the perhaps mental shift that happened or, or spiritual shift? The shift in your, your person, I suppose, like, you know, going into the fields you went in, the medicine and the, and the Navy, what were the things you were aiming at in life then? And then how were those transformed into where you are now? That's a great, uh, great question, Xavier. And it's only kind of in hindsight that I was able to kind of put the links together. I always, you know, when I went to college, I, I always knew that there was a purpose, right? Even if I was living a pagan lifestyle existentially as a pagan, uh, which I did as many young men do, uh, I gave a head nod to God and I knew that there was a reason that I existed and that he had a plan and I was going to, you know, make it happen. So, you know, naturally one, uh, joining the military is a way to, you know, serve a greater cause to be able to you know, lay your life down for a greater good, uh, to join a, a bunch of like-minded people and to be a part of a greater thing, uh, particularly for the nation. So it's a natural level of, of service and, uh, total self-gift potentially, you know, if you're killed in combat, for instance. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, when by God's providence, and I remember, you know, very clearly, getting angry at God when he shut the door on flight school for me and it didn't make any sense but it was just a matter of timing and Congress shut down the officer corps cut it out by you know 25% we got down to 25% we got when I was commissioned we were the ones that we got cut I'm like Lord this is crazy oh, I've done everything right <laughs> you know? and I shook my officer quarters going well this is too crazy this has got to be you I'm, I'm really pretty mad at you right now so <laughs> I'll talk to you later. <laughs> later, you know, going into the business world because you know I needed to make my way in the world and make and you know, make some money. I just found it unsatisfying. I was pretty successful in sales and was selling high-end graphic design equipment and that kind of thing. And between Washington D.C. down to uh, Dallas to Houston to uh, then I had the territory in Louisiana. Found it dissatisfying making money for money's sake. And, uh, so I decided to go back to school to get into medicine because my heart desired something more, desired to give, to serve, to heal, right? Mm -hmm. And then, and then when I was, so when I was on that first pilgrimage in Medjugorje, um, I had heard from these wonderful Catholic charismatics, uh, from Midland, Texas, most of whom were Latino and, uh, very charismatic and as a low church Anglican uh, at the time I was watching them bounce off the ceiling in ecstasy and you know, I, was, I was shocked <laughs> awake in a good way like man these hmm. people really have a vibrant prayer life this is amazing and they all told me one you got to pray the rosary and two 
when you go on pilgrimage, you got to bring an intention. So mm. I brought this intention to the Lord. I said, okay, I want to be a doctor, and I want to have a wife and 10 kids. And so that's my intention. And at some point along the way, I, everybody else is bouncing off the ceiling in ecstasy and you know, floating on cloud nine spiritually, and I'm still dragging my spiritual self around on the rocks, feeling just the weight of, of everything on my soul. I'm like, I don't get it here, Lord. And finally it dawned on me, because uh, on, a, on a nighttime hike up one of the two mountains, I think it was the Rosary Hill, uh, by myself, that I had been telling God what I wanted to do all my life, but I had never asked him what he wanted me mm. to do. And so I got down on my knees and I just, and I just remember praying the, the, the most sincere, I surrender Lord prayer that I could muster up. And I said, okay, Lord, I've been telling you what I want all this time. Now I'm just going to give you carte blanche. And then I thought of the craziest, harebrained thing I could think of. I said, heck, I'd even be, I don't know, a Franciscan in Bosnia if you wanted <laughs> to be. <laughs> and when I said that prayer, and as soon as I finished that last sentence, a peace descended into my soul that I'd never really uh, remembered experiencing before. And I knew that the prayer was being accepted. I didn't know, and I was smart enough to know that that didn't necessarily mean that I was called to be a Franciscan in Bosnia at that moment, but I knew that I was surrendering. Uh, that the Lord was pleased with that. And in time, coming back to the United States, praying more and uh, involved with the, uh, a little bit of the charismatic renewal through that parish in Midland, Texas, I, I realized that the, as, as I heard in my, my soul the Lord saying, I want you to see healing souls, not bodies. And then when I went to one of those charismatic, uh, charismatic renewal things and a group of young people had some serious gifts, one of whom is now a priest in our community, by the way. Mm-hmm. And he, the, this group just saw me and just automatically descended on me and started praying over me without me asking. I was being the wallflower at this meeting. And uh, next thing I know, they're saying the same things I had heard in my heart. The Lord wants you healing souls, not bodies. <laughs> so I took that to spiritual direction and I came back, uh, came back around and realized, hey, this is true. So I gave it up gave up mm-hmm. the pre-med stuff and and uh, went back to Medjugorje another time. We, by this time, we had started this NGO of St. David's, and we were leading a convoy of food and medical supplies across Europe with a bunch of good old boys from Texas and other places and a bunch of newscasters to show what was going on in the war. And uh, I went there, and I stayed for two months after the convoy was over just to pray it through and really kind of say, is this what you want, Lord? Because if it is... That means I've got to give up my girlfriend. That means I've got to become Catholic. That means, and I, you know, I, I got, I want to be sure. So that two months I spent running supplies and doing stuff along the Franciscans and praying. And uh, somewhere along the line in that that two months, I was in before the Blessed Sacrament there in Medjugorje in the little chapel, and uh, I was just telling the Lord, I said, you know, I, I, what do you want me to do? You know, and he said very clearly, you know what the truth is, now act on it. And what, I'm, what I understood that to mean, and I knew exactly what it meant was, the truth is in the Catholic Church. Act mm-hmm. on it. Get in. You can't be Catholic light. 
Episcopalian's not cutting it. <laughs> you, know, you know, come on over and I swim the Tiber. So I walked right out of the chapel and I talked to Father Philip Pavich and said, okay, I'm ready to become Catholic. He gave me a Baltimore catechism. We went over a couple of things and, and I said, that makes sense to me. What do we do? <laughs> so I became Catholic. And looking, looking and, and with the trajectory of, okay, this probably means priesthood, but I would, you know, it took another couple of years for that to seed in. And that's when I wound up leading the, the convoys over there in St. David's because I, I knew that if I was called to be a priest, it would take at least two years by canon law before anybody could even look at me. And so, uh, God used all that time as a two years of spiritual boot camp really to, uh, to really slow soak the vocation in and to teach me. And as I look back, Xavier, on all this stuff, I know I'm mm-hmm. going on and on here, but as I looked back, I thought I saw, I, I was talking to my mother one time about all this and these movements in my heart because she was a real prayer warrior. And she goes, John, you don't remember this, but when you were four years old, somebody asked you what you wanted to be when you grew up. And you said to them that you wanted to be a fighter pilot, <laughs> a doctor, and a priest. Wow. Like, I said that? She said, you said that. And as I reflect on it, I realize that in the priesthood, all the other the other two are encapsulated. Because this is a spiritual war, and if you're not, if you don't have a warrior spirit, you're in the wrong game as a priest. You're, we got too many priests that are not spiritual warriors, and that's a bad thing because mm-hmm. uh, it's a battle from start to finish. Even the Catechism says prayer is first and foremost a battle. So you have to have a warrior spirit. Secondly, you have to have a healer's spirit. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about bringing souls to healing. Uh, that's part of the battle, and so. Those two natural, those two, the, the call of the priesthood, I had expressed naturally. I had followed, followed those desires of the heart uh, in natural levels by seeking the military and seeking medicine. But the Lord was ultimately calling it, uh, calling me to this, uh, to be a warrior, a healer, and a, and a, and a priest mm-hmm. as a priest, and specifically as a friar. So now let's take a shift to today. Can you describe your role as a friar within the CFRs and also just the role of the CFRs in general in the world? The Friars of the Renewal uh, are, we're a small community. Uh, If you look at the Franciscan family tree, it looks more like a bush than an oak, you know, because there's all these little bitty branches. Uh, There's three main trunks, the OFMs. Uh, the, OF, the orders of the friar minor, the OFM capuchins, which is Padre Pio came from, and the OFM order of friars minor conventuals like Maximilian Colby. So we're off that trunk of the capuchins, the Padre Pio branch, the Saint Leopold Mandich branch or trunk, and we're off of a particular branch in the sense that uh, we we were founded by eight capuchins here in New York and New Jersey specific from the, the, the province here in New York and New Jersey. And our desire was simply to live, to, to do what the Vatican, Second Vatican Council called for, which was they called each community to go back to their roots of what the Holy Spirit raised up and to live that, you know, as authentically as possible because communities like human beings can get accretions like my waist keeps growing when I don't want it to right? mm-hmm. and not necessarily for bad things or whatever but we can wind up 
not keeping the main thing the main thing. So our guys, uh, some of the guys in our, our our eight founders looked to say, are we really, you know, what is the what is the golden age of the the capuchins, and are we fully living that, and can we do that, and how should we do that? And it's nothing against the capuchins. The capuchins do wonderful work, right? Uh, and they continue to do wonderful work. So, so this is not a negative against the Capuchins. I don't want to sound like that way in any way, shape, or form. But these guys felt inspired to look at the golden age, and they saw that golden age of the Capuchins, where the most saints were raised up, they did three things. They had they had a vibrant, strong, fraternal life, meaning they held each other accountable. They worked directly with the poor and lived alongside the poor. And the third thing is they did uh, evangelization on all sorts of levels and ways. But they did not do several things that by the Capuchins and many Franciscans in the New World came to do, which is running parishes, running hospitals, running schools. And all those things are great things, and they were all necessary things uh, in a time when this area, the United States, the New World was all really, it was, I mean, it was, it was mission territory. You know, you had all the different language groups. They all needed their school and their language, you know, before everybody went straight to English, mm-hmm. which is really recent history. And so all these accretions of running parishes, running schools, running hospitals, the guys that were founding us said, hey, let's just get back to those basics. And they, they tried to do that, but they really, they hit some resistance internally and externally and decided with the invitation of Cardinal O'Connor here in New York to start something new. Uh, and not something, it's something new and old at the same time mm-hmm. to, to live the old Capuchin life as best as possible in a, in a modern, modern sense. And that was the, the genesis of our community. And Cardinal O'Connor sponsored us and we've been here in the Bronx since then and we have for instance next door i work at a a homeless shelter for 35 men that come in we don't have a parish we have an old parish building but it doesn't run as a parish but we invite people to the neighborhood for events and that that kind of thing but we don't run a parish particularly Uh, Mm -hmm. i've been in central america as well so we've expanded from the bronx to over to new jersey We've got six or seven places here between New York and New Jersey. We've expanded out to Albuquerque, New Mexico, to Honduras, to Nicaragua. We've got two friaries in Ireland and two friaries in England. And in all those places, we do the evangelization and we do the works with the poor in different ways because you can do any of those things in a million different ways. Mm-hmm. So we try to tailor make it for what the Holy Spirit wants us to do in a given place. Here it's a homeless shelter. In London, it's a soup kitchen. In Nicaragua, it's uh, it's hospital chaplaincy and prison chaplaincy, and and uh, uh, and, and pro life work in a very very strong way. We do pro life work everywhere. Uh, I shouldn't say it's hmm. Nicaragua is mm-hmm. unique to Nicaragua, but so that's what we do, and that's uh, some of the ways it manifests itself. My myself, I'm at the moment of I'm 22 years into or 23, I think. I'm not sure. I'm no good at math. Hmm. <laughs> In, in, in the community and, and my, my role currently is I'm the vicar of the community, uh, which means the, the number two guy, which that and five bucks will get me a cup of coffee, that title. Yeah. <laughs> so, not, not really hmm. a very heady thing. 
So before we get into the most recent Great Awakening project here with the Mary Foundation where you joined us, what are some initiatives that you personally are working on? Some new things or some old things transformed or just part of your day-to-day role in the community? At the moment, my role is to make the the servant of the community's role easier. Uh, so whatever he needs me to do to to take <laughs> take work away from him, that's what I do. So I, at the moment, my project is that. Um, some of the things that he's assigned me to do is to to look for the to the future as best as one can to try to make some plans. For instance, we're we're uh, a young community, but but we're getting you know individuals are getting older by the day. And uh, my knees tell me that I'm not 35 anymore. I'm 55, and so mm-hmm. we're having to plan for uh, the time where we're going to have friars that can't can't fend for themselves anymore physically. And so uh, one of my projects is to figure out uh, a good plan for an aged and infirm friary, or how to deal with a, a, a large group, say five, ten, fifteen friars that are all in that situation at one time. And so that's a particular project that I'm working on right now, which is, yeah, in process. My day-to-day stuff is hard to describe because it's, it's again, it's uh, putting out fires, basically. But any given, any given friar, and, and, and myself included, you know, we have a, a rigid, rugged, scare, uh, not scare, but a prayer schedule. Uh, starting at 6 a.m. and then an hour of private prayer and meditation and followed by morning prayer and mass and then midday prayer and then every evening we have fixed into the schedule a la uh, at the advice of Mother Teresa to our community. Uh, we have a holy yeah. hour every day with the community. She said, one of, Father Benedict, our, one of our founders, Benedict Rochelle, asked Mother Teresa, what, what kind of advice do you have for a young community? She said, Father, Put in your rule in life, a holy hour every day. That'll so do it. <laughs> so we did, and it bears much fruit. It bears much fruit. And then we have common meal together. We share uh, in responsibilities of taking turns cooking, who's cooking. Mm-hmm. Uh, some friars inspire feasting, and some friars inspire fasting. I'm <laughs> cooking. As soon as I get done with this this uh, recording, I have to go cook. I think yeah. I'm one that inspires fasting. <laughs> so, but we, yeah. So the daily life is it's there's simple it's a simple structure of prayer uh, that undergirds whatever projects that we get thrown into, which could be some guys are running the shelter next door and they have all the you know the care of how to do to deal with all that stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. Before I came here, I was in Nicaragua and I I was in charge of the friary there for nine years. So it was we was in charge of finding the place, building the place, you know, ramrodding the construction site and, mm-hmm. and doing all that stuff. And then, then be alongside and, you know, guiding the brothers as we figured out what God wanted us to do down there. So mm-hmm. in different phases of, of, of a friar's life, you wind up doing a lot of different mm-hmm. things. Speaking of different things, this is a good segue to the recent Great Awakening project. We have with us also Bud McFarlane, our founder. Um, Bud, why don't you just give us a little background on the Great Awakening Project, uh, which Father John Anthony was a big part of. Uh, well, uh, hi, Father. It's good to hear your voice hey, again. Bud. Good to hear your voice. Before uh, we talk about the Great Awakening Project, um, I'd like to ask you a couple questions that popped into my mind while I was listening to your story. 
At one point you said uh, before you became a Catholic that you sought spiritual direction. For the for our listeners who don't may not know what that means, uh, what was that, at least in your case, when you were over there? Um, spiritual direction? Well, yeah, um, spiritual direction would be, uh, is, it can be as simple as just a good holy friendship with somebody that's a little bit further advanced in a spiritual life than yourself that, that is accustomed to hearing God's voice and maybe has a gift of discernment or a gift of just wisdom to counsel somebody. I would say my mother, for instance, was a, a, an unofficial spiritual director to a whole lot of young women and young brides in her parish uh, that I grew up in, in the Episcopal Church. I know that because at her death, all these women came of various ages uh, talking about the counsel that she gave to them as uh, as an elder woman in Christ. So it can be as simple as that. Uh, it can also be as is more f- formally speaking where you go to a priest or a religious and you say can you be my spiritual director and the, this person takes on the guidance of your soul in a sense helping you hear what god's voice is saying to to direct you in a direction and to make sure that you don't get out and you know lost in the weeds so at that point in time it, that you're referring to when i was still a Protestant, and I was asking questions. I, w- I did go to a priest uh, in the Catholic Church who had been on that pilgrimage and knew me and knew my journey. And he was also in charge of that charismatic group, and he was the spiritual director to that group. So he was spiritually guiding them and making sure that they stayed on point with the church and and using their gifts properly and not getting burned by their spiritual gifts. I went to him and I said, "Hey, Padre." You know, what do you think about this? This I'm here. What I think I'm hearing in my heart, and what I'm hearing from over here and out there, and he just helped me kind of clarify what's the voice, my voice, what's God's voice, and what's the voice of of the the enemy. And that's that's spiritual direction in a nutshell. In your experience so, as a spiritual director, what have you seen happen uh, in people's lives? I assume it's pretty varied. Yeah, it is. You know, I mean, it's, you know, it's a, it's a privileged place and it's an anointed conversation. And you're just trying to help somebody guide, you know, figure out what God is saying to them in their lives. My, my role is not to say, okay, you need to go do this and you need to go do that. My role as a spiritual director is to listen to what the person's saying and listen for the, the, the signs of what's God's voice, what's the enemy's voice and what's the person's voice. And when you get a resonance, and I use that word meaning where your heart and your mind are converge, or the person's heart and mind converges in this a, a still small voice, a peace that just passes all understanding, as the scripture says, a peace that passes all understanding. When when you hit that, you know that there's a particular direction that the Lord is calling a person to, and it's a phenomenal it's a phenomenal thing to see the lights go off and all of a sudden. The, the noise of the world, the noise of the business life, the noise of the enemy just gets squelched out and they're able to tune in to what God is speaking to their souls and change the direction of their lives. I've got a couple of people that I know that I've been guiding that are entering religious life. It's fantastic to see. Uh, I've got one that entered in uh, 
pretty heavy-duty missionary life and has gone off to India. Others are discerning uh, marriage or out of, or you know, not out of marriage, but uh, maybe out of a relationship, realizing it doesn't work. This relationship's not going to pan out <laughs> like as right. much as you'd like it. The other question I had was, um, people, you know, the Barry Foundation, we've distributed literally uh-huh. tens of millions of CDs and books and pamphlets. And so we've heard, you know, countless conversion stories and they all seem to be different. Some people convert through sort of an intellectual process where they leave behind false understandings of Christianity that may be a, not due to anything of their they're doing it's just 500 years of being a protestant like you said the first the first catholic in 500 years and you were talking about having these experiences with the, the holy spirit while you were praying over a period of time when you became a catholic what was the biggest difference between your previous upbringing as a episcopalian or even as a pagan, as you said, you you, you weren't a pagan. You're baptized, Exi- right? existential but, pagan, not a intellectual pagan. <laughs> right, right. What, what was like the biggest shift once uh, you received you received into the Catholic Church? The Eucharist, no, without a doubt, the Eucharist. Because with the Eucharist, you you once you and that that was my that was my turning point. You know, once I realized the the veracity, the truth behind the that that which looks like bread is truly Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, divinity, humanity, I realized there was no other place that I could be. And once you launch, once you, once your mind and your heart locks onto that, then there's a focal point in your prayer, uh, that you can, you always go back to, you know, uh, I, it's one of the reasons why I was so attracted to this community. I mean, is there's, we have built in to the schedule daily, uh, holy hour to spend time with Jesus and the Blessed Sacrament to be able to heart to heart bounce ideas off him and not just ideas let him better yet just to sit there and and, and let him love on you <laughs> be with him <laughs> you know? yeah there's a a story of the, the old retiree in the Curie Diars parish who would sit in the back of the church uh, you know day after day for a few hours a day and finally uh, St. John Vianney went up to him and said uh, you know, what are you saying to Jesus? And uh, the old pensioner said, I don't say anything. I look at him and he looks at me. And that yeah. that, that but is the most profound prayer and that's the most healing prayer. You know, there's a wonderful book out there, particularly for priests it's, it's, it's geared towards uh-huh. priests, but it does you know, it's called Insinu Yezu it's a conversation of Jesus to the soul of a, a priest who's a monk inviting others to come in into this space of adoration on a more and more frequent basis where you allow Jesus just to look at you and to, and to love you. I mean, John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, you know, Jesus is talking about this union between him and the Father, and he's inviting us into that. And that is the heart and soul of prayer. And the, the Eucharist gives us a focal point to do that. Uh, all the litanies and everything, those are good things, but that should be like, that's that's baby steps to get into what the end goal of all prayer, every sacrament is, is heart-to-heart union with Jesus Christ. 
Hey, uh, Father, uh, in case the listener's interested in that book, I'm familiar with that book. Uh, in fact, I have a copy. How do you spell it if someone wants to Google it and get a copy? Uh, I-N, so N, Sinu, I, or S-I-N-U, Jesu, G, or J-E-S-U. It's Latin for, um, yeah, in the heart of, I don't, yeah, I don't know my Latin. I need to learn my Latin. Father John Anthony, that might be a, a good segue into discussing the Great Awakening Project. We are recording this in September of 2020. You and I met a few years ago, I believe, at a conference in California. Uh, we became friends. You approached me, of, uh, I'd say, four or five months ago with this crazy idea. And uh, when you were talking about you need to have a military spirit, a military attitude, uh, we're in the church militant, uh, it, it immediately appealed to me as a guerrilla warfare project for the sake of not just the United States and Canada and, and uh, Central America and Mexico, but for the whole world. Describe your idea and then tell, tell the world what we did. Well, the, the, the genesis of this Great Awakening project was just looking at the world situation in which we find ourselves. I've had so many people come, you know, wearing a habit, you know, you, you can't hide. You go to the airport and people come up to you and they want to talk to you, right? And I've had Muslims uh, come up and say to one of our brothers, similarly uh, to me, uh, Father, do you think the world is coming coming to an end? Because we praying Muslims, we know that Jesus must come just before the end. We think he's coming soon, right? I've had uh, agnostics. I've had atheists ask me the same question. You think the world's coming to an end? I had a CIA agent one time ask me, huh. hey, Padre, the world's kind of crazy out there. It's getting crazier. Do you think the world's coming to an end? Like, well, uh, my usual answer is, if you're ready for the end of your world, you'll be fine. <laughs> Don't worry about that. <laughs> but all this is to say is that all that being in my heart, because we all see that we're in a at least a massive shift of epics in the history of the church and the world. We, we feel it. Uh, I, I, I was reminded of moments in history uh, in what we in the Protestant world, and when I was in the Protestant world, and what the Protestant world calls moments where the Holy Spirit descended on the, on the, on the world and a, a nation in a particular way. Uh, which we call the Great Awakenings. And there's different moments or different Great Awakenings sure. that if, have happened uh, over the history. I'm yeah, sorry. If our listeners want sort of a quick uh, summary of the Great Awakening, the Wikipedia page, just type in, you know, Wiki Great Awakening, and you'll see a summary of these periods of yeah. religious renewal in Summer, the United States. Yeah. Uh, well, well before the most Catholics uh, of any kind of population size arrived here, including right before the American Revolution that had a, a deep impact on our founders. So just just for the listener's sake, just go Wikipedia, Great Awakening, you'll have a nice summary. Yep. The, the, so as I was praying through that, and, and I realized there's a couple of elements in the Great Awakening that are always consistent. One of them... There is the spirit convicts people of their sinfulness because and their their need for a savior, right? Mm. And if we look around in the world, the darkness is because everybody 
nobody believes in sin anymore. Everybody's calling what's evil good and what's good evil. Uh, if they believe in sin, they don't think it affects them, uh, or it's just not them, or they're not, I'm not as bad as that serial murderer I read about, so I, I must be fine. And so I, as I prayed through that, I like, I remember talking to you, bud, and I said, hey, bud, we need it. We need to do something to get people praying for the Holy Spirit to descend on this country and the world again uh, in a new great awakening. We knew we didn't need a new great awakening now. Simultaneously, as I was reading about and praying about that, I, I started hearing about this the Catholic prophecies for just such a thing called uh, the warning. You know, the, the day uh, a moment of a of illumination of conscience where uh, many mystics, including Maria of Taigi and some other uh, Catholic mystics, Padre Pio, St. Faustina, all the way back to, I think, Louis de Montfort, saw a moment when everybody would have their consciences illumined to their sin, the effect of sin, and their need for a Savior. So this is this the desire that I see that the Lord wants us to pray for. And then when you and I were t- talking about it, we thought, well, what can we do practically <laughs> to, <laughs> to really you know, beg this thing to happen, you know. Uh, and somewhere in the conversation we were talking about spiritual warfare and that, you know, if I was to want to, if I, if I had a ranch, for instance, and I wanted to claim it for the Lord, one of the things a, a priest will do is exercise, uh, use the rite of exorcism over a, a block of salt, like a salt lick for a cow, <laughs> and right. place one at each corner of the property and just say, kind of, do a prophetic, physical, tangible action to say this territory belongs to Jesus Christ, and we're marking it. And in the conversation you and I had, but we uh, we got to thinking about it. And I think you said, "Well, why don't we do that for the country?" And I started thinking, "Yeah, I like that idea." <laughs> and then we started <laughs> got, I started kicking around. Okay, let's let's figure out how that would work, you know. And you and how we can do it fast before the election. Yeah, before the election. Yeah, we, I said, yeah, we need to do this before the election. Uh, and so you planned out the logistics, and I went in and tried to figure out any kind of any kind of spiritual authority issues. And, I, and we kind of came up to understanding, hey, we're priests and a lay layperson. We're just going to go to the four corners of the United States, and we're going to lay down a piece of exercise salt, some miraculous metals that have been touched to the true cross, a relic of the true cross and some other relics. And we're going to offer mass, begging Our Lady to to intercede for us. And then we remember that Father, that Bishop Archbishop Gomez had reconsecrated the United States to Our Lady and asked that she cover us in her mantle, right? right. And, and so the, this idea, this image came to me or you or both simultaneously of kind of we're we're prophetically pinning down the mantle of Our Lady on the four corners of the country, asking her, you know, just saying, "We're we're serious here. We just we need you to cover us. We need you to hold on to us." And uh, that's the genesis of it. Uh, and then I, you know, you go back and forth and discernment. This is how it works. You go, "Is this me? Is this just a crazy idea, or is this God crazy?" <laughs> and everything kind of fell into place by by virtue of a lot of different things that we couldn't have planned. And, and you and I realized it was, it was God crazy. And, uh, sure. and so we well, did it. I, I took it to uh, the sense of Fidelium, at least a small little portion of Mary Foundation benefactors, and they were all in. And then we had uh, 
it was kind of like coronavirus was helping us and coronavirus is in our way because we had a conference we were both going to go to that got canceled and in late July, instead of going to that conference, you and I, and in the first trip with Father Innocent, we went to Blaine, Washington, northwest, northwest, just yeah. below the border on the ocean. And what I remember uh, most clearly from that trip was the spiritual warfare nature of it. We were we had some nice meals, took a couple walks, but mostly we were just constantly praying for. The triumph of Christ over the, the forces of darkness. You bought prayers from uh, what's the name of Christ, Christianum? The, these Auxilium, Latin names. Uh, Auxilium Christianorum. Auxilium from Christianorum. From Father Ripperger, the, the great exorcist. And we took the prayer of Carlo Maria Vigano okay. for the United States, which is a beautiful prayer. And it was a Eucharistic pilgrimage as well because you're Franciscans and like you were talking about the holy hours every day not just the days where we went and said the masses we adored Jesus Christ in the Eucharist and it was all centered around uh, his true presence in my mind too the whole point of this is that you know I believe in asking you shall receive those are the words of our Lord but I'm, I'm a nobody and when I was with you and Father Innocent, we prayed to St. Anthony. You, you were sort of the spiritual director, and we're driving up toward Blaine, Washington, praying to St. Anthony and to all the saints in heaven to guide us, and we ended up in this little park in Blaine, Washington. I recall uh, while we were praying, especially in adoration at the end of the Mass, before the cops showed up, that... <laughs> We were praying through Christ, meaning Jesus in the Paschal mystery is through his life, death, and re- resurrection, the bloodless oblation of the Eucharist. We weren't praying. We were, we were having Christ pray to the Father to send the Holy Spirit to pin down the mantle of Our Lady. That gave me great hope. I, I, I'm happy to be a, a just a regular old grunt, a Marine in, in, in a giant army. That consisted of the church triumphant with our, our Lord, our King of Kings, you know, making the prayer for us through the Eucharist, which yeah. is why we need a priest <laughs> to do this. Yeah, that was, it was beautiful how God organized everything. You know, even we, we, we didn't know where we were going to go in that part. We didn't know there, where to go. We had no, no, we had permission to say mass privately but we had no place to go. We didn't know any parish priests or anything like that. And we wound up finding this little bitty park about the size of maybe a right. three Churches acres. It was about down. three acres. It was right. not a big park. You know, yeah. you could see the, you step 10 feet one way or the other, you could see the neighborhood around it through all the redwoods, uh, small redwoods. And then it was, it was beautiful. It was a great kickoff. And so we offered that mass in honor of the Immaculate Conception. And one of the things that I was, I was, uh, kind of, pleasantly surprised by it was the you remember the next day we went down to and the police were very kind they they, they had wonderful. seen us two two yeah. guys in robes <laughs> and candles <laughs> we ended up praying for their children as i recall they were yeah we did yeah, yeah. and they, 
somebody in the neighborhood called them because they saw guys in robes and candles. They thought we were probably warlocks or something like that. And they were happy to find out we were just praying for everybody and as, as priests. And so they, oh, cool. And we prayed for their families. But what was surprising to me pleasantly, and it was a confirmation, was the next day we went to San Diego and we offered the Mass in San Diego. And it turned out to be the feast day of San Diego, St. James. Right. Wow. Uh, Imperial Beach, California, again, right on the border on the ocean. Yep. And yep. uh, California, the uh, bishops had just reshut down all the churches in California. And we were leery of trying to find an outdoor mass in a highly developed uh, town of Imperial Beach. And one of our benefactors knew the priest who had been the pastor at the little. At the Catholic Church in Imperial Beach and arranged for us to have a kind of access to the chapel there and actually took the holy rocks onto her very property. The whole, we, we brought, uh, for the listeners, these salt licks. They're about four or five, ten pound ro- uh, salt lick rocks. Yeah. And after they were exercised, we had three in each location one for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we had done that in Blaine. We, I think, we put them down uh, the uh, trunk of a of a rotten tree <laughs> into the ground. We, we, you know, the Holy Spirit was going out before us to find a place for us just to have the mass. Yeah, and he and he provided. Uh, I, we, the next the next leg of the journey, as you recall, we like we had to figure out the dates and uh, to hit Key West. What you you were doing your calculations of what the furthest south and and east we could go, and the furthest north and east we could go, and so Key West as far south and east as you could go, and then we had to work up something up in Maine, and uh, the the trip down to Key West, I was well, you know, again so pleased with it was a feast of the Transfiguration. I'm gonna have to meditate on what that means for us, but it's, maybe it's a Transfiguration. You know, the Lord's gonna show His glory through. This, these simple acts, right? On um, however that's going to manifest itself, I don't know. But we were in the Feast of Saint Tran- uh, the Transfiguration on in, in Key West, and at that parish, do you remember the remember the image of the Our Lady that we saw with the mantle? Yeah, her mantle was out. It was like it was pinned to the air, and it was a European image, I believe. Yep, and it was striking because we hadn't, you know, we were we we're kind of kicking back and forth the idea of this pinning down Our Lady's mantle and it. It makes visual sense to us in our, you know, it, you know, in our minds. But and then all of a sudden we see this thing, and it's kind of like Our Lady winking and saying, "Yeah, this is this is not a new devotion." <laughs> and then a priest friend from uh, uh, the Mary Foundation of the Mary Foundation sent us a picture of it. And as I recall, one of the pictures from Europe was uh, Our Lady's mantle flying out and all sorts of people hanging onto it as if they're kind of pinning it down, so uh, it was, to me, just yet a further confirmation. Sure, and that was a spectacular parish in Key West. Had a memorial to the unborn, a a full-size reproduction of Lourdes uh, Grotto in France, where the locals, Catholic and otherwise, had a tradition of coming and praying to protect the island whenever hurricanes were nearby. And since that tradition had started, there had been no severe damage from hurricanes in, I think, a few decades or two or three decades. I think uh, more than that. I yeah. think since they put up the, 
I think that since they put up the shrine almost a hundred years ago, right. the uh, nothing major. I mean, some, some things have happened, but no, no total wipeout of Key West, which could easily happen. Sure. And the pastor was very welcoming. We were very grateful. He gave us a tour. He, uh, you know, beautiful was, church. You were able to celebrate Adlery and just me, you, and Father. At this, it's just me and you on this one. Yep. Yep. And, there, it, what, uh, kudos to that that parish as well because they've had perpetual adoration since 1993, I think it was. Except they had uh, their own chapel, and yeah. we were able to do our holy hour. Uh, in that chapel with several others. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah, Key West is not known for perpetual adoration. <laughs> so it's yeah, really good. So for... Perpetual adoration is going on. And that may, you know, that's probably why the Lord hadn't wiped it out because there's a lot of stuff that goes on Key West that it probably might deserve getting wiped out. But the Lord doesn't want that. He wants mercy. And uh, I also recall, I, you know, just to, uh, just because of my own sinfulness, I, I attended or I went to confession uh, directly before each mass. You and Father, I remember you and Father Innocent in Blaine, Washington State, uh, went to confession to each other. Is that okay to mention that right before the mass began? Yeah, you're not. We're not telling you anything that was told to either one of us. Yeah. <laughs> we just went to confession. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's confession is one of the. You asked earlier on what were some of the, you know the greater things of becoming Catholic, what changes things? Confession changes things. You know, you, the Eucharist is the source and summit, but the confession is what allows us to go in as cleanly as possible to the Eucharist and uh, to be able to really... Yeah, I might want to, uh, you know, when we listen to the Ben Shapiro show, he says, but first, uh, we're going to talk about the Mass and, and uh, the final... Uh, pinning down of the mantle at Maine in a few minutes. But first, the Mary Foundation has a booklet called Going Back to Confession After Years and Decades. We also have a recording called Confession uh, for people who are interested in the sacrament, want to know more about the theology of it and what's actually happening. And in the booklet, Going Back to Confession, we make the distinction between forgiveness and absolution we quote the word the words of our lord uh in in john where he says uh, i give you he says to the priest the first bishop i give you the power to take away sins uh in english it's often translated as forgive but in the original language he was speaking in he was saying to absolve to take away the bind for example, Xavier, if you steal $100 from me, I can say, Xavier, I forgive you. Forgiveness happens between persons. Uh, but I still have the 100 bucks, right? And confession, in a certain sense, is a complete restoration of the person to bapti the baptismal state of sinlessness, uh, where you're now worthy to enter into the kingdom of heaven. A lot of people don't realize that it's not a it's not a, a ritual or symbolic you go in as a sinner if you have mortal sins as someone who's going to go to hell and you walk out absolved completely restored in a state of grace as we catholics say um so i encourage you to go to catholiccity.com but everything we have is available for free get that booklet get our confession cd or or listen to it uh, streaming and, on that uh, on, on that point, yeah. just to sure. just to uh, that's a great bounce pass. As a priest, I can tell you, 
my favorite thing uh, is to, to, to hear confessions and when you see somebody walking in, you see them physically walk in looking burdened. Mm. And you see them physically changed walking out unburdened. And, and there's, a, there's a reality, there's a spiritual reality that you see in the body. And it's it's uh, it's true, you know. It's it's true. Something really happens there. If, uh, yeah, if a listener so is a Catholic and you haven't gone to confession, I always give the analogy. You talk about being unburdened. It's like losing weight. You walk yeah. in, you walk out. It's like you lost twenty five pounds, and you have a fresh yeah. start. Do you? Uh, do, what what happens to you while you're hearing confession? Is it is it always different? Is it you feel the Holy Spirit? working through you. I often describe it when I go, it's like I'm whispering into the ear of Christ through the priest. I'm speaking to Jesus who's going to absolve me through this priest. Well, I mean, I'd love to say that, that every priest is going to have feel the warm fuzzies every time they sit down and hear confessions, but it's not true. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> I've probably heard 75,000 confessions at this point. Wow. I was down to Nicar- Nicaragua. We would hear eight uh eight to 20 man hours a week of confessions. Uh, that was one of the big things that we did. And, you know, there's days where you're just wrecked, <laughs> you know, and, and you, and I will say, and I, and I will, on behalf of all my brother priests, I will say, uh, please forgive us if you've ever come into the confessional when the priest is having a bad day. Uh, it, it can happen, sadly. And we're not always on our game. We're human. We get tired. We get sick. <laughs> it, so if somebody and, and somebody's coming in and they're feeling vulnerable, they're, you know, they're, it's a very vulnerable moment. They're offering, they're opening their soul up, and it's not always it's not always warm and fuzzy. I, I wish to say that it was. Um, so if anybody's been wounded out there, a lot of people stay away from confession because they had a bad experience one time. Please recognize that the priest is the telephone apparatus between you and Jesus. He's not Jesus. And so if a priest, a telephone apparatus is not apparatus is not working well one day, find another one. <laughs> you know? sure. uh, find another one because you, 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 sure. you need the sacrament. Okay. And I can, uh, yeah, I can reassure listeners. I, through the example of my holy parents, especially my father, I've probably gone to confession every week or two since I was 17 years old, uh, which would be 40 years. Uh, it's just thousands of confessions. I think I may have had one uh, bad experience where, like you said, maybe the guy was having a tough day, right? Yeah. He was a little harsh or, you know, who knows or see, what, Maybe even who knows just sounded what. harsh. But Maybe just coming across your ears is harsh. Hundreds, yeah. hundreds and hundreds of priests. There's nothing to fear. It's the most... Yeah. It's it's I I do get it. I get that if you've been away for a long time, there's fear. That fear is from Satan. It's from yep. a, a devil who does not want you to be closer to Christ and closer yep. to God and to have a, a the grace to change your habits and have a fresh start. I tell, uh, tell you, it's a, I I look forward to it. I love it. I love go. I love going. I love coming out. I'll tell you a funny story that uh, Father Benedict Rochelle, one of our founders, said, because he studied psychology here at Columbia University in in New York, and he had an old Jewish psychology uh, psychiatrist who was his professor say to him, Father, 
you priests, you Catholic priests, you can get to the bottom of something in 10 minutes inside a confession that I can't get to in 10 years of psychotherapy. And it's, it's really true. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really true. The Lord is very practical in what he asked of us, and he instituted the, the sacrament of confession for very practical reasons. But that doesn't, uh, and, and so I, again, I can say that as a, as a friar, as a priest, please, if you haven't been to confession in a while, please come home, come to confession, make it a regular habit. Our Lady and various of our apparitions say if every good Catholic would confess sincerely once a month, whether you have mortal sin or not, once a month, that the whole world would convert. Talk about a great awakening, right? Sure, uh, sure. And one last uh, little note for our listeners. It is very easy to find a confession, just in a very practical sense. There's a fantastic website called masstimes.org, M-A-S-S-Times.org. You can just type in your zip code or your town. It will list every Catholic church uh, within 30 miles or 100 miles, is the, whatever you need. And, it, and you can just sort of use a little menu they have there to click on confession it'll list all the confession times sometimes typically uh, it's on a saturday but uh, cathedrals in every diocese often have it every day some parishes have it uh, more and more uh, right before mass so it's very accessible and you can also just go knock on the door of any rectory or call a local parish and just say father i need a confession and they're obliged uh to do everything in their that possible to hear your confession right away and typically they'll if they can't because they have to do a wedding or a funeral or go to the hospital or whatever they will schedule something for you and expect your car to break down except your cell phone to get glitchy uh, there'll be some spiritual warfare so you have to you know exercise your will and act and go you will never regret it and it could be mean the difference between eternal life and eternal suffering. Amen. All right. Uh, we were talking about the Great Awakening Masses. Key West was like, it was like we were under a cloud. Uh, we were under the mantle of Mary. Everything seemed to be just laid out right before us. I think we had to defy in coronavirus order not to go to Maine. To go to Maine. <laughs> it was unenforced. It was scary. Yep. But we just, I flew into an airport. You drove up with Father Malachi this time. Right. We drove up, we drove up from New York. And I, I think the, the, we, we were coming from New York where we weren't, weren't under said ban because we were coming from a state, state that was considered safe at the time. So we didn't actually defy anything. You might have, uh, but that's okay. Um, it was, I enjoy strong that. suggestions and, uh, not, not, it's not full out law, so anyway, um, prudential. We exercised all prudential judgment and accord accordingly. Um, but Maine was beautiful. I, the, my only disappointment with Maine was that when we got up to the very the the little bitty town uh, as far east as you can get, it's the furthest eastern town in all the United States, and we just we couldn't see the ocean because it was too foggy. <laughs> that was right. my only disappointment. Beautiful little parish. Uh, St. Joseph, St. Uh, Peter by the Sea, as I recall, is the name. Yeah. And uh, we blessed the rocks. We, you know, we left them uh, in and around that church outside. 
will be there forever. Uh, we also had brought to all of the masses a little flash drive containing uh, countless uh, thousands, if not uh, more than you know, 10,000 intentions of uh, benefactors of the Mary Foundation and Catholicity.com. Um, and they were they were remembered at these beautiful masses and also sort of buried along with the salt and the relics or the holy metal, the medals touched to uh, the relic of the true cross that I have the the honor of having being a caretaker of and to first class relics of Saints Saint Anthony Saint Jude Saint Joseph Saint Maximilian Kolbe your fellow your fellow friar a couple of fellow friars there, St. Anthony. And so, Robert, actually, my next question for you is, I've been wondering how we might see a possible manifestation of, assuming that we've asked of worthy intention, that through Christ, through the Eucharist, it will be answered by the Father. How do you, how do you imagine it might be answered? But how will we be able to see that the Great Awakening is beginning? I mean, I can imagine a lot of things. Uh, I can imagine flying elephants. <laughs> that doesn't mean they're going to be real. Right. Um, I, but I, so, short answer is I have, I really have no idea. I know that I, I know that we were called to do this thing. I know that it was, I, I'm, I'm, I have a certainty in my heart that it was a God crazy thing, not a, just a Father John Anthony and Bud McFarlane crazy thing. Right. So I have this sense of certainty, which passes all understanding. We did what we're supposed to do. And I have just, you know, to me, it's kind of like, okay, that was the mission, fire and forget. And we fired, we did what we're supposed to do. And we're going to just see what he has to do. And he'll, it'll register, it'll register when it happens that, that what's connected, I'm, I'm sure. How it's going to play out, I don't know. You know, I, 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 you know, I would love to see, and I recommend this book called The Warning. It's by Christ, Christine Watkins. Uh, it's recently out. It's on this Great Awakening, but the Catholic uh, title of it would be uh, Illumination of Conscience. Uh, and it goes through all the the approved apparitions and approved prophets who have described this event that may happen as the entire planet all at once. Or it could happen individually, or we don't know how it's going to recommend get that book to all your listeners. I, uh, uh, Father, but, I just got a copy of that particular book in the mail today. So, awesome. As it's, a confirmation. It, 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 has some, uh, it has some firsthand stories of people who have experienced this uh, illumination of conscience. Guys like Matthew Kelly, who you've heard of, you know, all you know, widely published and some others uh mario restrepo from south america people who have let been given this gift of seeing their soul as god sees it uh my hope is that that's going to happen uh, you know how and when i i don't know what's going to happen before these elections i you know i don't know uh, uh, I, I, uh you know uh, not all the listeners know that i'm an author of novels uh, my most popular novel is called Pierced by a Sword, also available at catholicity.com. It's, it's free. Um, it has helped uh, countless people convert. And I have not experienced the warning except through my imagination. And I, it, you know, this book portrays the warning. 
and I don't want to give anything away in case you haven't read it, but I was working off of all of the accounts that are in the book by Christina Watkins, uh, The Warning. So if you want sort of a fictional version of what that might be like, uh, you know, I recommend you go to our website. You know, it's fun to read a novel. It's a, I highly recommend the book myself, so it's not, and I don't get any kickbacks. No, nobody <laughs> does. Recommending it, I can just say, <laughs> as an objective outsider, I really enjoy the book, and I, I highly recommend it. Before I forget something, but I, I think something is worth mentioning here, uh, asking what, how this might manifest. I don't know. I have no idea specifically. I will say that I've gotten in prayer since we did this thing, uh, a word that I want to share with everybody. Uh, oh. When we look at these these really dastardly times, which could get and will get, in my opinion, because uh, uh, will get worse, uh, because I, Our Lady of Fatima was very clear that third secret of Fatima, as Benedict, Pope Benedict uh, very clearly stated, has not been fulfilled in history. Uh, that that very vivid uh, vision of seeing the church seemingly destroyed and and you know it's mystical imagery obviously but at the same time he said from fatima as the the then reigning pope this has not been fulfilled in history and those who think that it has have most deceived with that in mind and some other things in mind that i won't share at the moment it can look so so dark out here you know we've got antifa in the streets you know we we kind of bypassed them when we were up in washington but they were around we've got you know manifestations we've got burning of buildings sure. and you know, the whole world losing a lint and an yeah. easter not being able to go to the sacraments for months right. on end, all over the world all over the world and so spiritually we've got we've got trauma going on uh people are not able to to go to the eucharist they're not able to you know as as easily uh we've got you know we've got unrest civilly it looks bleak but the word that i was given um and it, it, what it looks like, and this is a, an, an image that I was speaking with uh, with a, a dear spiritual friend, a uh, very gifted woman, and I was asking her what her spiritual spidey sense was saying in these days. And she said, look at, you know, Satan is building his modern Tower of Babel. We know he's got all this stuff that he's been constructing. We know that he's trying to do a one-world government. We know that he's got control of the Internet. We know that he's got this Tower of Babel that he's constructing. But what people need to hear and what people, how need, people need to pray through this, because it looks so hopeless. It looks like this structure is going to be going to, going to completely dominate us and take over forever. Uh, what she said very clearly is have people pray for the grace to trust and hope in the plan that Jesus has to topple that uh, tower of battle because it's not as if you know it's not that jesus is not going to topple it down it's not good he, he didn't let the last tower of Babel stand right mm. um but the tower of Babel, another way of looking at it is it, you know, the church if you if you add in what you saw it uh in that vision of fatima regarding the church uh if you add in what the catechism says that the church has to go through, has to follow her Lord to the cross, right? It, you know, 
it, the cross looks hopeless. Yesterday was the feast of the triumph of the cross. The cross does not look like a triumph when you're only looking at the cross. But when you start to lean into the prayer of trusting and hoping and the plan that Jesus has, you're, you're actually looking beyond the cross to the resurrection. And so it, it takes the fear out. So as long as we look at the Tower of Babel and we look at all the structures around us that are uh, seemingly impossible to, to fight, right? Uh, mm. Then we feel fearful. You know, if you listen to your, your news, I don't care what news of the day you're listening to, they, they, they sell what I call panic porn. I heard it somewhere and I like the, the, the phrase panic porn to keep you engaged and frightened. That is like giving gasoline to to Satan to fill his tanks with. You know? But what steals that gasoline, what doesn't allow him to be, get fuel from your soul, is to lean in to the trust and the hope the, and the faith that you have in Jesus Christ, that Jesus has got all this in hand, right? I, I'd like to go right back to the Baltimore Catechism, Father. Faith itself which you receive is a gift from God. It's his grace to believe that he is love, that he is justice, that he is mercy, that he's a trinity, that he is true God and true man. That is a gift of grace. And the fruit of faith is hope. And the fruit of hope is often peacefulness, interior peacefulness, even if all, all around you in your particular personal life you might have the same kind of strife that we're seeing out in the world or the strife in the world that it comes, it's a fruit. It's a, you don't have to conjure up hope within yourself. It's a gift you'll receive through faith. And it's true. that you get and, with union with Christ, sacramental union and prayer. Yep. And that, and that's the, that's, and, and, and you, you feel, you, you sense, you enter into that space of, of peace and and the gifts that you're given through baptism and through confirmation and through the sacraments, you enter that space and you sense that peace, which passes all understanding, despite the fray, the maelstrom that's going on outside. When you choose, because the fulcrum point of the spiritual life is our will, what we choose. When you choose to put your eyes on Jesus and focus on his plan, as opposed to looking at the maelstrom, Peter began to sink into the water, sink into the water when he was invited to walk on it, because he started looking at the storm and the waves and oh, the wind. Of and started, faith. Right. But when he, if he had chosen to keep his eyes focused on Jesus and walk one step at a time, he would have had peace. If he had ignored the storm, in a sense, right? Uh, I fully, it, yeah, I fully expect there will be a conflict. There will be a storm, as you said. This is sort of powers and principalities working themselves out through through this world and it's now yeah and it, they for the good news for our listeners is the great awakening mass project is not quite over yet uh september 15th uh feast of our lady of sorrows today on october 19th the feast of the holy martyrs father's offering sort of the final great awakening mass but in thanksgiving it's important when you pray Pray with real faith that, it, and I have it. I'm, I'm sure our Lord is going to answer the, not just our prayers and the prayers of the Mass, uh, but the prayers of tens of thousands of Mary Foundation benefactors who participated in this. 
So we're going to offer a Thanksgiving Mass on October 19th. People can come to Catholicity.com. They, it's free. It's secure. You can put your intentions in. They'll be remembered at this Mass in the Bronx. Simultaneously, at the, the site of the martyrdom of the great Canadian Jesuits, uh, Berbeuf, uh, St. John Berbeuf and Isaac Jogues, uh, Father John O'Brien, the spiritual advisor of the American Foundation, will be offering a Mass at the very site of those martyrs uh, for the Great Awakening Thanksgiving Mass. Also, Thanksgiving, uh, Great Awakening Mass has taken place in Alaska, in Hawaii, states uh, throughout the United States, uh, by Father John in Canada before uh, this, this Mass on October 19th. And uh, also as far away as Nigeria and, and in other countries, so it's yeah, it's it's, it's not done. It's the, we're going to pray in Thanksgiving and and uh, and trust and faith and hope. And I should say, Bud, you know, we 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 wanted to do this before the elections in the United States. It's not about the election. Yeah. I mean, that's part of it. That's just you know, but that's that's a, that was a target date. Uh, I you know. It, 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 it's it's a bigger thing than the United States. It's it's a worldwide thing that we're begging for. You know, we just know we're here. This is the territory we're in, and we decided to mark it. Uh, and and this, you know, what the fruit of it is going to be? It, it's not about the elections. It, we may see the fruit well after the elections. One of the one of the things that I saw in prayer as I was image, imaging mm. that Tower of Babel and and praying through that for the trust and hope that Jesus and Jesus's plan to destroy that thing is I, I saw all these little people in place all around in the structure and putting little, little, little things of dynamite here, putting a wedge and a little, and a little fissure so that just at the right moment when the Lord says, you know, inspires people to do something, the grace will happen and the person uh, you know, a, a person who's been praying and, and staying close to the Lord will put the right pressure on a fulcrum point that will shift one part of the structure of the tower, topple it. And uh, another one is going to push the plunger down and throw off some spiritual dynamite and blow off another part of it. So that he's putting his troops in and we are the troops. You know, this is what the Great Awakening is about, is to, for all good people of goodwill who are praying, to be in place, to be listening to the Spirit, trusting in what God's going to do and all this stuff, what He's doing in this world, despite the maelstrom around, so that when He says, hey, go, you do something, you don't even know what the effect is, but it may take an entire wall down of the Tower of Babel. (laughs) And just as the Tower of Babel came to an end, so too must we. We're coming here on the end of our time. Father, thank you so much for joining us, and now if you wouldn't mind leading us in a closing prayer. Happily, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, come by the means of the powerful intercession of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, your well-beloved spouse. I ask you, Holy Spirit, just to descend upon each person that hears this recording, that they may be given the gift of a martyr's heart, that they may be given the gift of perseverance, especially final perseverance, that they may be given the gift of joy in the fight and the spiritual battle, that they may be given the gift of great confidence and extreme, absolute, audacious trust and hope in the plan that Jesus has to uh, bring about the triumph of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And may Almighty God bless each and every one of us and our family members in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. We hope you are inspired by this podcast, and we encourage you to share it on social media 
and warmly invite you to distribute our free Catholic materials, including medals, books, CDs, and booklets to your family, friends, parish, and social groups. Visit us online at catholiccity.com for more information. The real work of the Mary Foundation is accomplished by people like you. There are three ways to help. First, please pray for everyone who hears, reads, or wears our materials. Second, share them with everyone you know, family, friends, fellow parishioners, the people you work with. Only you can reach them. Finally, please help us financially. It seems impossible, but we don't do traditional fundraising here at the Mary Foundation. We rely on your generosity and God's providence. By the way, if you, your parish, or your Catholic group would like to distribute our materials by the dozens, hundreds, or even thousands, all we ask for is help covering our material costs, so please visit us online for suggested donations. For our Canadian friends and those outside the United States, only online requests are accepted, so please refer to the special shipping rates listed on our website. Thanks for listening. We're looking forward to working with you, and may God bless you always. And now, here's a short preview of our Rosary and Divine Mercy Chaplet, the most popular rosary recording in the history of the world. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. For an increase in the virtues of faith, hope, and charity. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. All rights are reserved, and any duplication without permission is prohibited.